Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. Uh, one of the most helpful ways to think about life and faith or to think about a life of faith is to look at it like a series uh, of moments. Life is like a string of moments and in any given moment uh, we can either walk by faith or not walk by faith. And so each moment we choose either to walk by faith or not. And that's sort of where we're going with today's study on the life of Moses as we learn some important lessons for staying on the path of faith in each moment. And we're going to pick it up uh, just this morning with the Israelites. They are on their final leg of their journey, a 40-year journey. That's where we're picking it up. So we're fast-forwarding quite a bit, right? And uh, they have journeyed at this point from Egypt to Sinai, and then from Sinai to the edge of the wilderness, and there they actually failed to enter the promised land the first time due to a lack of faith. They didn't trust Yahweh uh, to that basically conquered the land for them. And so they spent 38 years just wandering in the wilderness. It was a long, wandering path of disbelief. 38 years of it. And you have to think that uh, many in the next generation have been born and have grown up by now. And uh, they are here now, and this new generation is on its way into the promised land again. They're approaching the promised land for the second time. And that's where we're going to pick up. Uh, and as they set out, they face a similar test, a familiar, familiar test. Let's read it in verses uh, 1 through 5. Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. And the people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If we had only breathed our last when our brothers breathed their last before Yahweh, why then have you brought the assembly of Yahweh into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? And why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. So, familiar looking story, isn't it? Like father, like son, right? Sin nature passed right on to the next generation, huh? The people oppose Moses and Aaron again. They're blaming him for everything, for bringing them up out of the land. Um, 
the test with water just doesn't, it just goes just like it did before. It's the same old song, isn't it? They're singing the same old song. It's complaining. It's rebellion. And it's here that Moses' sister, Miriam, dies and is buried. Uh, she doesn't make it to the promised land. Um, and, and it records her death because she's been such a key figure. Uh, and then at the end of the chapter, it starts out with Miriam's death at the beginning of the chapter. At the end of the chapter, Aaron dies. And he doesn't get to enter the promised land for a lack of belief. Uh, he dies on Mount Horror. He's gathered to his people. And what you have in between this bookend of the book, this, this chapter has bookends of death on each end. And then in the middle, what you see is just, it's not any, any prettier. I'm just being honest with you. This is just an ugly chapter, and it was hard to spend a week in this chapter this week. I'm telling you, uh, it's just not pretty. But the deaths and the discipline in between that we're going to see with Moses is a graphic reminder that the sin of unbelief is serious. Isn't that amazing that a believer can, unbelie can disbelieve God? A believer... Someone who has faith that saves can choose to not exercise faith in a moment. Isn't that interesting? And it was costly. An entire generation of Israelites fails to enter the promised land. They were people who clearly wanted God's blessings. They wanted that that promised land. They wanted the grain. They wanted the figs. They wanted the pomegranates. They wanted all of God's blessings. You know what they didn't want? They didn't want God. They didn't want God himself. And, it, and if we have this idea, you know, that we want to go to heaven and we want the blessings of heaven, but, but, we, don't, but we don't want God in this life, boy, we're going to the wrong place. You know what I'm saying? It's... you. You want, he wants us to want him first and to be satisfied in him alone. Um, only two of the Israelites here, Joshua and Caleb, the only two, they were two of the 12 spies. They went and spied out the land. They brought back a report. And, and, and all but those two spies said, we can't take this land. It's too hard. The people are too big. The, the cities are, are too fortified and, and don't... And don't get them wrong, they were heavily fortified cities. I just got done taking a class on this era, the Second Temple era, well, well even before that. But um, all this history, and these were heavily fortified cities during this time. Uh, just like the walls of Jericho, right? It was hard to take. Some of these places should have taken years to see, of siege works, right? Laid against them just to take them. But how long did it take God to bring down the walls of Jericho? Pretty fast, right? Should have taken years for any other king to take the land. But um, other than these two gentlemen, Joshua and Caleb, even Moses, they all succumb to the same temptation of the people to disbelieve. And uh, it's said of Joshua and Caleb that they had a different spirit. That's how uh, the Bible describes them. They had a different spirit about them in that they wanted to follow Yahweh fully. You know what I mean? We talked about last week, not have, or, or the week before, not having a half-hearted faith. Joshua and Caleb were all in on Yahweh's program. They believed in him, and that's where we want to be. But take note that uh, 
you know, all these years have gone by for Israel. This is this 40 years later, basically. They've seen God provide in this desert all that time for decades. They've seen God provide for decades. They've seen him deliver. They've seen him. He was very, very patient with them as he taught them about who he was. He instructed them in his ways and who he was and how he could provide. This isn't their first encounter with a lack of water, is it? This is the third time I think it's come up already for us that we've seen this come up. And so they should come to God and say, Lord, you've done this before. You did this with our Father. You've provided water how many times for us out here in the wilderness? But, they, but that's not their response. Their, their response is not faith. It's complaining and disbelief. And so they haven't learned to trust him moment by moment. Instead, it's, it's interesting, because <laughs> this is in all of us, but complaining has become their conditioned reflex. It's like an automatic reflex in them. It's a habit that they can't seem to break, and that's just our natural response. That's our autopilot, isn't it? Difficulties come up, the autopilot in you, the sin nature, wants to just complain, right? And, and, and a life like that is a life where, where we, when we let our lives go that direction, it's like, it's a life without faith, and it's a wandering and weary path, and there's just no satisfaction in that, in that path, right? Have you ever complained about something and got angry and threw a fit? How much satisfaction did that bring you, right? None, right? There's no rest in that life. But uh, let's look at verses 6 through 8 now. Uh, Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the, to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And then the glory of Yahweh appeared to them. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. And you shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. And so Moses and Aaron, they, they fall on their knees, or fall on their faces, it says. I'm sure they're in, in prayer, driven there by the fear of the people, maybe uh, frustration. They're irritated. And uh, in response, God tells Moses, take your rod, and that's that rod that he's got in his hand, that staff has been with him all these years, and it's become a symbol of God's presence and his power. But he's to take this rod and he's just to assemble the congregation before uh, some sort of great rock structure. And while they look on, he is to actually speak to the rock. So he's not supposed to touch it here. Not like the last time. Last time he was to strike the rock. And now he's to speak to the rock and bring forth water from it. And remember, this is a, this is a hard, dry, lifeless rock. <laughs> you don't want to talk about a miracle, right? Uh, it's just funny, I was out here on the corner, we got some new rock poured out here, and I was out there spraying it with water, you know, washing it off because it was dirty, trying to make it look better, and I just thought, holy cow, what if water poured forth from this rock out here, you know, and it's just, it's just weird to think about, but um, Moses is only supposed to speak to it, and water is to come out of it, and um, by the way, it, I don't recommend talking to rocks, uh, very often, this is kind of a special occasion. So if you go around, you know, like the state park, and you're talking to rocks, 
you probably need to call me and come in for some counseling. Uh, it's probably not the most winsome thing that a Christian can do is go around and talk to rocks. I'll just say that. But um, that's what he's supposed to do. Just speak to it. But let's, let's, look what he, let's see what he does here. Uh, Moses, verse 9, took the rod from before Yahweh just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, listen. Ooh, here's the tone that changes. Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you? Look at that. Shall we bring forth water for you from out of this rock? Notice that word, we. Uh, you can imagine Aaron there shaking his head in agreement, right? In the same spirit. And then Moses raised his high hand, or ha- raised high his hand, and he struck the rock twice with his rod. Then water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And those were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended, which just means contention, because the sons of Israel contended with Yahweh, and he proved himself holy among them. So, um, honestly, this is the ugly uh, human sin nature side of Moses that we're seeing here. We're going to call it the unbelief of Moses for our second heading this morning. Um, But he's just like one of us, isn't he? And I think every one of us knows how and why he does what he does here, if we're honest. It's it's just interesting. You know, if you, you experience something unpleasant enough, you know what I mean, something irritating enough, something that's repeated uh, over and over again, it doesn't stop, or something just keeps breaking, you know what I mean? The hydraulics burst on the tractor, or I don't know what it is, you know, I'm just thinking about my past, but, um, you know, that it's just, the hailstorm comes in, whatever it is, and, 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 or the children, you know, the children won't listen, and they won't quit complaining, and you're on that car ride, and you kind of feel like the Israelites out in the wilderness, but um, there's just this preconditioned response in us that comes from the sin nature that wants to lash out in frustration and anger. It's the weirdest thing. We all know this. We all have experienced this. You just, something just progressively gets more and more irritating until you just lose control. You just black out almost, and it's like you, you just lose control, and it just brings out the worst in you. We all know what this is like. We all have moments in life that we wish we could take back where we let the repeated rabble, you know, get to us. Some of these circumstances. That's what happened to Moses here. He let the people get to him. And rather than speaking to the rock, he's just filled with rage and he strikes it. And he hits it twice. You know, for, for millennia, people have been discussing what Moses did wrong to deserve this harsh discipline. And, you know, was it the, that he struck the rock instead of speaking to it? Was it that he did it in anger? Was it that he did more than, than God said? That he didn't ex- follow God's exact words? Um, was it that he and Aaron took credit for the miracle? Remember, they said, we, shall we bring forth water? 
Um, in verse 10, that's what it says. Uh, was it that he struck the rock twice and ruined a, a picture or typology of Christ? You know, in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, Paul likens Jesus to the rock in the wilderness that the Israelites drank from. And so some people assume that since Christ only needs to be smitten once, therefore Moses ruined the typology there by striking the rock two more times. But, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't explicitly make that connection, so I'm wary of uh, making that a point or typology. But I think the, the root of our answer It lies in verse 12 right there with unbelief. God says, because you have not believed me. I think we just get confused by what that means. Uh, What does it mean that Moses didn't believe him? I think the anger, the striking instead of the speaking, the taking of credit, and the failure to regard God, God as holy all stemmed from a moment of unbelief. We need to understand here, Moses did have clear instructions He knew what God told him to do. He just didn't do it. It's plain and simple. He didn't believe God's way was best. He believed his own way. His worldly, fleshly way was best. And it's that that moment that Moses would regret immensely because his discipline is that he doesn't get to enter the promised land. In chapter 14, Moses prays three times for God to reverse this judgment. And God just says, no, leave it alone. Don't ask me again. And Moses was meek enough to accept God's discipline after that. But, uh, you know, I, I hope by now in our study that we, we all have the deepest love and respect for Moses. Um, he is a man to be admired we have learned so many good things from him this far in our study. But it's very evident that he was a sinful human too. And one other reason for the discipline I think that we need to note is that this isn't Moses' first moment with rage. Uh, Moses has been struggling with anger his whole life. Now, let's rewind back to Exodus chapter 2, verse 12. When he goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew, what does he do? Strikes him down in rage. Buries the body in the sand. And then he has to flee for his life. In one meeting with Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 11, it says he left Pharaoh's presence in hot anger when he really didn't need to. He should have just trusted God's sovereignty, spoke God's word, and moved on. But he leaves in hot anger. Because he couldn't control Pharaoh's decision. At Mount Sinai, he comes down from the mountain after God makes two, the most, <laughs> two beautiful tablets Right with the ten words on them, the ten commandments. Moses comes down the mountain with the God made and God inscribed tablets for the people, and he comes down and there's the golden calf there, and the Israel's worshiping the golden calf, and and he, 
And there's a sense of holy anger here, right? They shouldn't be worshiping this calf, but Moses doesn't respond right. He takes the tablets that God made and he throws them down and he shatters them. He shatters them. And, you know, God says in the next, the next time up the fountain, he says, you cut out tablets like the ones you shattered. And so Moses is meek, right? He was more meek than anybody, but it's pretty clear that even at the end of his life here, in Numbers chapter 20, that anger was still a problem in his life. And it was going to cost him greatly. God tolerated his anger his whole life. At least since he was 40, as far as we can tell, God had disciplined him, he had worked with him, he had shaped him, he had humbled him, God had shown him the way. But Moses still let his anger flare before all the congregation of Israel. And I think by God finally laying down this harsh discipline that we see here, in the last days of Moses' life, God is saying to Moses, that's enough with the anger. I have a sanctification program for your life, Moses. And your sanctification, who you become, is way more important than what you do. I don't care if it is leading Israel into the promised land. Who you become is more important than what you do. And if you can't do it by being a good example, then you're not going to do it at all. You're not going to take this anger with you to the grave, Moses. I care too much about you. I care too much about your relationships. And I care too much about my own glory, God says. And I know that you, Moses, you care about my glory too. And you don't like this stuff any more than I do. So let's let it be. Let's, let's be done with it, you know. Once and for all. And these harsh, the harsh discipline was, wasn't going to be forgotten by Moses. It was a spur to keep him on the path of faith. Don't you love that? What a good God Moses has to care for him enough that he won't let him keep shattering his own life or keep shattering the reputation of God that Moses loves. Isn't that good? of God to do this? Because you got to know Moses loves Yahweh. He wants to honor him more than anything in his life. And this discipline is going to keep him on track and keep him doing that. It's a beautiful thing here. And in application, let's just look at some principles for us to keep us on the right path. We're talking about the path of faith and the path of where we're going to find rest, as Hebrews puts it. But let's remember, in any moment, guys, we can choose faith or not. Think about that. Proverbs 24, 5, and 6. Uh, Jacob reminded me of this verse this week. He said, as we were, we were praying about today, but he said, 
or it, Proverbs says this, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the right or the left, but keep your foot from evil. I love that verse this week because it, it shows us we need to be careful about the paths that we're walking and we need to keep our foot from evil. We need to stay on the right path. So think about that. And here's some principles to help us stay on that path. Number one, that obedience stems from belief. Obedience stems from belief. We can tell what path we are on in any given moment by our response. Is, <laughs> am I walking in obedience or disobedience? There's your answer. You know, whether I'm walking in belief or not. And if we're walking in disobedience, or we're, we're, we're in the path of unbelief, it's going to, you know what's going to show up is the, the works of the flesh that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 19 and 21. Uh, disobedience and unbelief are like two sides of the same coin, and so are uh, faith and, uh, or sorry, obedience and belief. So when we're walking in faith, we'll be walking in obedience. When we're walking in disobedience, we're obviously not walking in faith. It's almost like God doesn't exist in our life at that moment. Uh, one man said, when you know God's will, and then you willfully move in another direction, like Moses did, he knew God's will, he willfully went in another direction, that is unbelief, plain and simple. It was turning a deaf ear to God and what he said, and he did his own thing. He didn't believe God's way was best. Even Hebrews 3, 18 and 19 says this. It, it, referring to the Israelites, it says, to whom, did we, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief and disobedience right there, hand in hand. Two sides of the same coin. And it's amazing that Hey, we don't usually think about this when we read Hebrews, right? But who didn't enter his rest? Moses didn't enter his rest. Yet, what do you find in Hebrews? You find Moses in the hall of faith in chapter 11. Isn't that interesting? It goes to show us that in any moment, we can make some sort of, we can have a great moment of faith. The next, we can be walking in disbelief. Even though we're saved, we, we have a safe faith that saves, we, can have a, we have to have a walk of faith to continue to experience deliverance from sin in our lives. And as long as we walk in disobedience, we're not going to find rest. God won't honor that. But here's what honors God. Obedience honors God. Remember that. So that's the second principle. In any moment, we can choose to honor God or not. So if I'm in a, uh, and I'm like in a position of temptation or something, I'm tempted to do something, I have to think to myself, what am I going to choose? Am I going to choose in this situation, this circumstance, to honor God or not? And God says that Moses' angry moment failed to treat God as holy before Israel. Um, in James' words, he says that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Um, so Moses wasn't leading by example here. I would venture even to say that 
some of the anger we see in the people of Israel, in their interactions with Moses, sort of stems from Moses responding in anger to the people. They were learning from Moses, Moses from them. They're feeding off of each other as they both let their spirits go unchecked. When the people come to Moses in anger, Moses should not respond in anger. He's not setting the example. He's not showing them the way. They've seen Moses angry over and over again. They watched him shatter the tablets and whatever. They're just doing what he's doing. And so, you have to think about how Israel was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? We focused on that a couple of weeks ago. They had a special function on the earth, this unique nation, this little nation to be, you know, God's people, God's kingdom, and a light to the nations. And nations were to come to them to Israel and see, and that's why God positioned them where he did, right there, I mean, to go from, from Europe to Africa, you go through Israel, you know, it's like anywhere you go through there, it was just an annex, right, you have to go through Israel, and as people came through the land of Israel, they were to see how wise and holy and good God was just by observing Israel in their lives. Um, they were to demonstrate how people were intended to live in God's created order. And, you know, as the church, we basically have the same function. We have a heavenly calling to live out where we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And that is with humility and gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, to, to lay aside the anger. That's one of the ways that we're a light, is that we're, we're different. But when we live in disobedience or we let the flesh control us, it's like breaking commandment number three, taking the Lord's name in vain. You know, we take the Lord's name in vain not just with our, our lips and using Jesus Christ as a curse word. We take the Lord's name in vain when we call ourselves Christians and then we go out and live just like the world and we don't and we go and we let our spirit be unchecked by the spirit of God and by God's word we're claiming Christ's name and we're not living like it taking the Lord's name in vain before a watching world And so we want to be obedient. We want to honor God. We want to be that light to the nations. Thirdly, who we become is more important than what we do. Who we become is more important than what we do. What you do doesn't matter if you're not becoming like Christ. That's why God disciplines Moses the way he does. He loves him too much. And so... Yes, Moses was forgiven, but the painful consequences would be there to spur him on and not let him slip into this habit of anger so easily again. Fourthly, our only hope for deliverance from sin is through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, guys, there's a, a host of practical applications that I could give us this morning to help us overcome anger or lust 
or just different addictions and other sinful reflexes in our lives. And, uh, you know, I, I would recommend recognizing some of the patterns in your life. Think about what's causing it. A certain place, a certain time, a certain irritation, whatever it is. How and why does it happen? What triggers it? Think about that. I would recommend staying in God's Word just about every day of the week. <laughs> um, memorizing God's Word to help in a time of need. I would recommend getting an accountability partner uh, or maybe join an accountability group, someone who can speak into your life and let you know when you're starting to veer off track. Um, just talking with my wife this week about this sermon, um, we decided to just give each other the right. We granted each other the right to let each other know when we're starting to get off track because you get into these moments sometimes and it's like you just lose control. Sin makes you lose control. And what you need sometimes is for someone to step in and say, hey, it's not worth it. Don't do it. Don't go there. Remember Moses. It's just a moment. It'll pass. It won't be worth it. It won't satisfy. Don't do it. You just need sometimes you need someone to shake you a little bit, wake you up. And uh, hey, even I need that because pride comes before the fall, right? I'm just a human too. And uh, it's like the hymn says, right? We're all prone to wander, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We're all there. But uh, despite all that, the practical stuff, let me give you one more. You're, you're laying there, and you're, you're, you're maybe sitting there, laying there, and you're tempted. You're tempted to do something. Here's another tip. Just stay present with Christ in that moment. And you can think about this decision you're thinking about making, right? And you can say, you know what? I'm either going to honor God in this moment and glorify him, or I'm going to give Satan ammo to accuse me before the throne. And then think about that, and then think about, I'm just going to stay present with Christ. I'm going to keep my mind, I'm going to keep my focus on him in this moment, and I'm not going to let take my eyes off of him. Just stay present with him. But... um. All of that being said, let's know that our, our victory over sin ultimately and only comes from the power that is in Jesus Christ through his spirit in us. I think it's pretty evident in the book of Numbers uh, that the law is not enough to sanctify us. Moses wasn't enough. They can't deliver in the way that we need to be delivered. We need Jesus Christ to deliver us. Amen? He's our only hope. Without Christ, we have no power over any of this stuff. We have no hope of getting victory over our, our struggles and our addictions and our reflexes. And Jesus said in, in uh, John seven thirty seven through 39, he said, If anyone's thirsty... If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow, living, flow rivers of living water. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So, 
What we need more than anything is to put our trust in Jesus Christ and to be born again by His Spirit. And that's where the power comes from. That's where the living water is found. It's in Jesus Christ, our rock. So we have zero hope outside of him for whatever we struggle with. You know, we just had a man the other day visit our church. Uh, He's from out of of town, but he had the neatest testimony. You know, he was an alcoholic, you know, his whole life. And, uh, you know, he tried all these different programs out there to try and quit. But he said, the only thing that delivered me was Jesus. And now he's years, gone for years now, free of the alcohol, and he's a deacon in their church. It's pretty amazing testimony. That's the power of God, to break an addiction that late in life. You know, sometimes we get to be, we're in a position where we're like Moses, and we think, we just become numb to our sin because we've done it so many times. I'm just going to get used to this anger problem in my life. And I just kind of become numb to it. And I just think this is the way it's supposed to be. And I hit this spiritual plateau. And we think, I'm good enough here. When we forget, God is a sanctification program that doesn't quit until the day he takes us home. And his spirit, guys, is going to work in us and sometimes we're terrified, right? I saw a picture this week of a, this guy that was uh, jumped out of an airplane, right? They're skydiving. And he's got a guy on his back. And the guy on his back, right, that he's strapped to, the instructor guy, is just smiling and just laughing, you know, having a good time. And the, and the guy that's taking the ride is, like, just terrified. You know, his eyes are big and he's scared to death. The guy behind him is smiling. Sometimes that's the Holy Spirit in us, right? We're just, like, here... You know, like, what is God doing? And, and, and we feel convicted about our sin, and we should. And the Holy Spirit's just smiling like, yep, yeah, we're good. Got him right where I want him. Point is that the Spirit's going to work in us and help us in our weaknesses. He knows we're weak. He remembers we're but dust, Right? That's his job, you know, to convict us and to make us more like Jesus. He's going to do that until we enter glory. But I just want to end with this, the the words of this hymn I found here. On Friday morning, I decided just to type the, I decided to type the title of my sermon into Google. Sometimes I do that just for fun. It's to see what comes up. I get some illustrations and books that way um, to help. But uh, this time, a hymn popped up that I don't remember ever hearing about, but it was called Moment by Moment. And some of you guys are thinking, oh man, what a young pastor, right? But I haven't spent a whole lot of time singing hymns. But this one is called Moment by Moment, and it's written by a contemporary of D.L. Moody and a Civil War hero, Major D.W. Whittle. And uh, here it is. Dying with Jesus, by death reckoned mine. Living with Jesus, a new life divine. Looking to Jesus till glory doth shine. Moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. Moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, I've life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory doth shine. Moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. 
Never a trial that he is not there. Never a burden that he doth not bear. Never a sorrow that he doth not share. Moment by moment, I am under his care. Never a heartache and never a groan. Never a teardrop and never a moan. Never a danger but there on the throne. Moment by moment, he thinks me his own. Never a weakness that he doth not feel. Never a sickness that he cannot heal. Moment by moment, in woe or in weal, Jesus, my Savior, abides with me still. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much just for being the good and wise, loving Father that you are. Uh, We thank you for being the new covenant God whom we are told to draw near to. We're certainly thankful this morning that we don't draw near to Mount Sinai. We draw near to Mount Zion, whom although our God is a consuming fire, tells us to come. And to come boldly to his throne of grace. And so we thank you so much for that. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your, your spirit who continues to mold us into the image of the Son. And we pray, Lord, with some hesitation, but with a real desire from the Spirit of God that you would do whatever it takes to make us more like him, to make us more like Jesus. We pray with the psalmist in Psalm 19 that you would keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Lord, so many of us are here this morning. We've got different struggles going on. We have addictions. We've got anger and lust problems. We all know it. Sometimes we become numb to it. And we hit a spiritual plateau and we think this is just the way it's got to be. But I pray that you'd kind of shake us from that thought and remind us of your sanctification program for our lives. That you want to make us more like Jesus and remind us of your grace, Lord, along the way because we need it. We need to be reminded of that and how you are patient with us and we're all just kind of a, a project under construction, I guess you could say. But uh, again, help us to just be more like you, to honor you with our lives, that others might see you in us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.